All right, let's open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you and to study your word and to see what you would have us to learn. Lord, we ask you to guide and lead as we look at this portion in Philippians. In your son's name, amen. All right, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to do a very large portion of scripture, two verses. <laughs> so, starting at verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write these same things to you is indeed, to, to me indeed is not grievous, but you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of concision. And concision is what we're going to talk about because you probably have no idea what concision means. <laughs> so we're going to look at just these two verses. And Paul, in the previous chapter, has talked about his encouragement to the people and how he doesn't mind repeating himself over and over again. And one of the things is that I want to remind us is, and we do this frequently, the chapters and verses were not in the original letters to these people. All right? And sometimes, as in this verse, they put a chapter and a verse in a very strange place where it doesn't belong. <laughs> and this really is part of the previous sentences, a paragraph that says, you know, I'm, I'm writing to you to encourage you. And Paul is, in this, chap in this beginning of this chapter, says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. How many of us enjoy rejoicing in the Lord? I really enjoy rejoicing in the Lord. The question is, in Thessalonians we're told, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Rejoice evermore is in the theme of Paul. Do we rejoice in everything? I have a hard time with that sometimes. I'm learning to get better at it. To rejoice in everything. When your car falls apart and you can't get to town with your car because your all four tires on your car are flat, <laughs> uh, you know, you're halfway to town and the engine starts giving a funny knocking sound, <laughs> and you're going, "What is this?" Is our first thought, thank you, God, uh, you've got a plan. As Christians, it should be our first thought, but I know that it's not. In many cases, it's not our first thought. Uh, our first thought is usually a little more in the fleshish side of things. But, you know, we need to learn to practice. In everything, give thanks and rejoice. Why? Because it's a, in the plan of God. He has a plan. In everything that happens to us, he has a plan. And who knows why the plan is? We don't know. When you get the help fixing your four flat tires, you might find somebody who needs to hear the gospel and might respond. Maybe it's a tire salesman that has to sell you the new tires to replace the four tires. You don't, you don't know who it is, but if you're not rejoicing before God, you're not going to be in the mood or able to present the gospel if the opportunity shows up. And some of these things are more serious. You know, if you get sick. I have a friend that ended up with breast cancer and he had big problems. And, but he, at the same time, he rejoiced in God and said, I've got, I've got an hour, of chemo, hour, hour and a half of chemotherapy where somebody's stuck that has to listen to me because they're right at the same table and they can't leave for an hour and a half either. And he was going, thank you. you know, was he happy about the breast cancer? No, he wasn't happy about the breast cancer, but he was, there's somebody I can talk to about God for an hour and a half, on either side of me. 
are we looking at, and we're not, and I'm not saying let's look at the bright side, let's always look at the bright side of things. I'm saying no, we look at what God is doing for us and how he is developing our life. And we need to be able to look at this and say, rejoice. This is what we're told scripturally to do. Rejoice in the Lord. He's got a plan. And it is not always easy. I'm going to tell you, I'll be the first one to admit, it's not always easy to rejoice when things are going wrong. But you know, when you do it, it is quite a witness to the people around you. It's a witness to other Christians when they see you rejoice in the Lord when everything looks like it's going wrong. Because in the other comments, like, how can you do that? I couldn't do that. I can't, I can't be that happy about that. Well, it's not necessarily I'm happy, but God is in control. The events in my life where people have looked at me and going, how can you, how come you're not worried about this? I go, well, you know, it is what it is and I can't change it. You know, in one case, I remember we had three days to figure out how we were going to get home because the car was broken down. Everybody's going, how are you going to get home? I go, I don't care. I don't know. I've got three days for God to figure that out. Okay. Now, have I always passed that test? No, I've failed lots of these tests, but every once in a while I do it right. And people will go, it's an example. When we do it the right way, people look at it and say, wow, you have something that you believe in strongly. You have a God that you can believe in. You have a God that you trust in. And each one of these little events that happen to us that look wrong and look like a problem in our life is really a question from God, do you trust me? And unfortunately, as I've said many times, we go, no, God, I don't trust you. I've got to go figure this out myself. I've got to go worry about this. I've got to go figure out how to get this done. And then some of the times we go, yes, God, I trust you. I don't know what you're going to do to make this work, but I trust you. And I can tell you testimonies I've heard from different people when they've just said, God, I don't know what's going on, but. And then they'll tell you about this person coming up and helping them get to their destination and this person helping them with a good deal on getting the car fixed or whatever it might be. And the next thing you know, they're lifting up God in all of what's going on. And so it's wonderful when we pass that test. But there are all these tests are always for God saying, do you trust me? And I'm going to encourage you, maybe put that in your wallet somewhere or your purse or in, on your mirror. When bad things happen to you, remember the question. Do you, God saying, do you trust me? It's going to change the way you react. Because the question in front of you is, do you trust me? And God's going to say, well done, or better luck next time when you go through the test again. And God keeps running us through the same test until we pass it. Maybe not exactly the same test, but he'll keep going. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust me? And the sad thing is, people, the tests just get harder to say, do, I, do you trust him? <laughs> Until we get to heaven and we get to, and he goes, well done, good and faithful servant. And that should be our goal for each one of us. When we get to heaven, to be able to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. Because I don't want to hear well, you made it in by the skin of your teeth. By the grace of Christ is the only reason you made it in. Now, that's good enough to make it to heaven. I would say, yes, it's better than the alternative, which is goodbye, go to hell. You know, getting in by the skin of your teeth, as Paul said, by smoke. You know, all my works have burned up because none of them were done in Christ. But I'm still in heaven is better than the alternative. But I really want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant because I want to just let him serve through me. And Paul is going on in this, Finally, brethren, 
rejoice. And it says, for me to write the same things to you is not grievous. You know, it, and literally this word in, in, in Greek means irksome. <laughs> he goes, I am not being irked by having to write the same thing to you over and over and over and over and over and over again. If you've ever tried to teach anybody anything, usually you have to keep repeating yourself many times. All of us who've raised kids <laughs> can remember having to tell our kids, how many times do I have to tell you to close that door when you come in from outside? <laughs> and you get a smart aleck kid of oh, about a thousand. <laughs> uh, you know, but you know, we do this. And the one thing I found as a teaching God's word is how many times does God repeat himself in his word? Not just in the same book, and even though he teaches and repeats himself often in the same books, but he repeats himself throughout the whole scripture. God understands that we are pretty thick-skulled people, that we have a hard time understanding things. And can you imagine the patience of God as he tells us over and over and over again? He tells us to rejoice in everything at least 10 or 12 times that I can think of off the top of my head. Rejoice. And that doesn't even count the book of Psalms, where he tells you to rejoice in almost every psalm. And yet God does not find it irksome to keep telling us. A good pastor, a good teacher, doesn't get irritated by having to say the same thing over and over and over again, because the good news is, every once in a while, Somebody grows up and, and follows what you teach. <laughs> and you go, thank you, God. Somebody out there is listening. <laughs> we'll keep teaching it. We'll keep teaching it. Because we look back in our own life and realize, God, you had to kind of pound it into my head a few times over the years. Now, one thing I have learned over this time is, you know, I've been following God for 46 years. Almost. <laughs> That's a long time, and I've learned a lot of lessons. And I've learned a lot of lessons the hard way, <laughs> just as every one of you have learned your lessons the hard way. The good news is, as we start growing up in Christ, we start responding a little faster if we're really growing. Um, we, we get a little tired of having to learn things the hard way. You know, same thing when we're, growing, when we're raising our kids, you know, the kids get a little tired of being disciplined all the time, unless they're really hard-willed children. <laughs> They get a little tired of being disciplined every time they turn around, and usually they will get more responsible, more, re, more re, re, respondent as they grow. And then you lead them into being adulthood, and maybe they've gotten some things right <laughs> and ready to follow God. But God does the same thing. He keeps beating it into our heads, beating it into our heads. And when we first start, it takes years to learn things. Then it drops down to maybe months, days. If we really get there, maybe, maybe just an hour, God just speaks and we go, okay, God, <laughs> okay, God, I, I, I just want to follow. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to have to be beat over the head for the next six years. And we sit there and we listen. And because Paul said it's for, it's for your safety. It is for your reliance. I'm going to keep teaching you over and over and over again until you finally get it heard. One of the things I've noticed when I listen to testimonies, people will go, yeah, and I finally heard the gospel message and I got saved. You know, and especially if you know the person. 
especially if you know the person and you know you've given them the gospel before the time that they have said they finally heard. You know, but it is probably true that it was the first time they actually heard it. Okay? They have been told the gospel many times. We have been told truths of God over our lifetime many times. Maybe three or four hundred times before we finally hear it and say, God, I'm going to respond. I am going to trust you in this area. And Paul says, I rejoice that I get to do this. I, get, I rejoice that I get to keep telling you over and over again because eventually you'll hear and you'll respond. Now in this verse 2, Paul gives three warnings. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the conscience. The first one is dogs, and that is not the four-legged animals running around your houses. <laughs> okay? He's not telling you, beware of those. <laughs> now, some of us have dogs we need to be beware of, but <laughs> this is not who he's talking about. He's talking about people that are impudent and impure. You know, these are pretty strong words. An impudent person. Very hard. They're very um, irresolute. We all know people like that. They're the ones that are going to tell you, well, how can you believe in a God like that? <laughs> you know, how can you believe in a God that is so mean and nasty? You know, how can you believe in a God that allows evil? <laughs> Have you ever had anybody ask you that? How can you believe in a God that would allow evil things to happen? I have a good answer that I use on people. I go, do you really want God to stop all evil activities? And I'll always get the answer, yes. I go, good, I'm going to pray for you that you cannot do what you want to do. You, will, you must do what God wants you to do from this point forward, and we'll make that prayer. You know how many people I've had let me pray that prayer? <laughs> None. They all want God to stop bad, but they want him to stop it in other people. They want him to stop other people from doing something that may lead to bad, bad consequence. We live in a fallen world. Could God stop all bad things from happening? Oh, he could. He's powerful enough to take our free will away from us. He can turn us into robots and says, you're going to do what I have told you to do, and you have no choice in the matter. That is not what he wants. We live in a world that has consequences for the evil that are done. And when we look and we say, well, why does this innocent person suffer? Well, the bad thing about that is it shows that we're not looking at things from God's point of view. There are no innocent people on this world. All of us are born in sin. All of us. And if God gave us what we deserved, we'd all have been dead decades ago if he gave us what we deserve. It's his grace that allows us to go forward, and it's his grace that allows us to decide to eventually come to him. And even once we accept him as our Lord and Savior, it's his grace that allows us to continue because we're not perfect even after that. Even though we have the righteousness of Christ on us and God sees us as perfect, we are not perfect. And it's his grace that allows us to go around to tell other people, other imperfect people about God who will be able to forgive them. But Paul warns the people, beware of those that are trying to cause these problems with you that are just hard. In our churches, we have people that are lost. Yeah. Believe it or not, probably in this room, there are people that are not Christians. Because 
Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is likened to the man who planted the field and in the night tares grew up with the wheat. Things that look like wheat. In the churches, there are people that look like they're Christians. As a matter of fact, they might even be better Christians in their actions than those who are truly followers of God. Because they're following the law. They're, they're saying, I, I don't lie, I don't steal, I don't cheat, you know, I, don't, I try to treat people kindly, uh, I'm doing this, that, and the other thing, look at all my righteousness. And I can't tell you how many people over the years I've seen in their 60s, 70s, 80s, who've gone to church all their life, every time the doors open, say, I never knew God. I could tell you all the Bible stories. I could tell you all the points that the pastor was going to preach on any, any verse. But I never knew God. They're hard. They're the ones who will argue with you on just about anything in the Bible. You know, they'll tell you you're, anything that you believe about the Bible. They'll tell you you're wrong because you don't know all the facts and all the details and all the fine points of, of doctrine. But they're hard. They don't understand. And Paul says, be careful of those people. They're, they're the ones that are going to try to steal your relationship with God. Because Christianity is a relationship with God. You know, when I have people tell me, well, I don't like religion, I will agree with them. I hate religion too. Religion is a bunch of rules telling you how to please God. Christianity is a relationship with the God of the universe. I have accepted him in my life. He's come and he dwells with me, and he's going to change who I am. Now, as he changes me, I will probably follow the same rules that the religious person follows, but my motivation is totally different. I'm obeying, I'm doing it because I love God, and I just want to do what my father wants me to do. They're just trying to say, well, I, if I do enough check marks, <laughs> I get enough check marks on here, and I stand before God, and he puts my good in, on one side of the scale and my bad on the other side of the scale. And if you want to believe that, bad outweighs good every time. Because one bad sin is enough to bring judgment. So the dogs, the ones that want to run, and then he goes, beware of the evil workers. Evil workers. Those who are just bad. They're pernicious. They're indignant. They're the ones that, you know, that you warn your kids to stay away from. <laughs> you, know, you do not want to hang out with so-and-so because they're going to take you to the parties and you're going to get drunk and you're going to get into alcohol and you're going to get into all these other things. Stay away from those kids. We have people in the church that do the same kind of thing. They are going to go, in Paul's day, they were the Judaizers. Paul's message is really good about this grace thing and Jesus being the only way to heaven, but you need to do all this other stuff. The message for Christ is one very simple thing. His death on the cross forgives us of our sins when we accept that gift and we say, God, I am sorry, I repent, help me not do it again, come into my life. We are a Christian. If anybody tells you it's that plus anything, it's not scriptural. It's not accept Jesus Christ and get baptized. It's not accept Jesus Christ and become a member of a church. It's not accept Jesus Christ and always come to the every open door of the church meeting. It's not Christ and anything else. It's Jesus Christ. Are all those other things good? Yes, it's great to be baptized for the right reasons. Get baptized so you can show everybody the change in your heart and, and that they need Jesus. Is it good to be a member of a body of Christ? Yes, it's great to be a body of the member 
of a, a member of a body of Christ. <laughs> because we need each other. We need each other to encourage one another to grow in Christ and to, to become better. We need to get into his word. We need to study. We need to be taught. All those things are very important, but it is not Jesus plus those. All those things come out of our desire because he indwells us and he changes who we are. And we look at this evil doers. How many evil doers do you know in your life? Don't, don't answer this. <laughs> you know, all of us know people that are evil doers. Whether they're in a church, pretend to be Christians or not. Oftentimes they're not Christian. You know, they don't even pretend to be Christians. But sometimes they can pretend to be Christians. That say, I'm just going to bring evil into the situation. I'm going to take you away from God. We think about Moses up on Mount Sinai. Getting the Ten Commandments for the people of Israel. He's gone for 40 days. And what do the people do? They go to Aaron and say, Aaron, make us a God that delivered us because we don't know what happened to Moses. He went, went up on that, that mountain. He must have fallen into a crack somewhere. He's not coming back. And they start worshiping a golden calf. They've only been gone 40 days from Egypt. They've watched the 10 plagues destroy Egypt. They've watched God give them fresh water from bitter water. He, they've watched God feed them in the wilderness area, and they're going, well, we don't know about this God. Give us some other God. And then they start worshiping this God. And then Moses comes down, and you know the story about how he breaks the Ten Commandments and gives them discipline and has to go back up for another 40 days. But evil workers... Sometimes we might even be guilty of being that evil worker by some of the things we do or say. The pressure we might put on somebody to live correctly. <laughs> live the way I think you should be living and not the way God says you should be living. Now, are there sins out there that people need to be aware of? Oh, yeah, there are sins out there that are definitely sins. But even then, my job is not to change somebody living in that, those lifestyles. My job is to tell them that it's a sin. If you're going out stealing from, around, uh, from people, then you are sinning. If you are out being a gluttonous person, the Bible says gluttony is a sin. Uh, I know. <laughs> There's all kinds of sins out there. Fornication, adultery, bestiality, homosexuality, all of these things are sins. But they're between you and God, and God's going to say, you need to change. We need to change, but all of us have sin in our life that we need to change. All of us. And if you don't think you have sin, you're lying to yourself and you've already sinned. <laughs> we all have these things. But we need to beware. And the, the next one is kind of one that hits a little home when you understand. Beware of the concision. Concision is an archaic English word. We do not use it anymore. So you probably have no idea what that word means. It means to cut apart and separate. This is probably the one that affects churches the most. There are people in churches who like to separate members of the church. They cut them apart. They separate them. Well, this person's okay. This one's not okay. This one's okay. This one's not okay. This one, well, I'm not quite sure where they're at yet. They're, you know, and they'll, they try to make divisions. The saddest thing that can happen in a church is when it divides and it splits. Now, and some of the things that split churches are so ridiculous. You know, 
Well, this leader over here said something that I don't really believe, and the next thing you know, the church is taking sides and your church splits. You know, why? <laughs> you know, was it really that important? Was it a really doctrinal issue that would separate the church? Most of the time, no. In the early church, we're getting ready to do communion this afternoon. In the early church, they split over the idea of did the communion elements, the, the, the wine and the, and the bread, literally become the body and blood of Christ in the, in the person when they consumed it? Most of them said yes. A handful said no, that they were just symbols. And it split churches. Even that wasn't something that should have split a church because it's not that important. Now, what can split a church? There are a few things that should split a church. If somebody wants to tell you that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God and the only way to heaven, and they're leading you in that, in that, in that statement, then you get out of that church. I still wouldn't say split the church. I would say get out of that church and find a church that teaches the truth. If they're teaching you that the Word of God is not absolutely true, it would be worth getting out of that church and find another church. Not split the church that you're in, but get out of that church. If they're not teaching the truth of God, get out of that church and go find a church that preaches truth. Don't be part of this last group that wants to split individuals. Our job is to love one another. You know, and these things that can split a church can be fun to discuss as long as you can discuss them with the right attitude. And I've told you, if I'm talking to somebody and they put a big flag on the hill saying, I'm going to die on this hill because you've got to believe it or else, I'm going to back off from the argument. It doesn't, it's not that important. I've given you guys things that I believe that from the scriptures and why I believe it. And if you don't want to believe some of the things, it doesn't matter to me. Because it's not that important. But we're talking about Jesus Christ being the only way to heaven. That's important. I will die on that truth. The fact that the word of God is true, absolutely, 100% without error, is a truth that I will stand on and say this is important enough to not fall away. That Jesus died and rose again from the dead is a truth that is important. His resurrection is absolutely important for salvation. Beyond those, there's not a whole lot of things that I'm going to stand up and say, you must believe these things. Now, you all know me. I have things that I believe very strongly. <laughs> but they're not ones that I'm going to say, if you don't believe these things, then we just can't fellowship. No, they're not that important. Outside of the salvation issues and the word of God, there's very little that's so important that I'm saying, you know, just get out here. You're not, you, you and I can't agree. Now, we may not agree. But I'm going to tell you one thing. You're not going to find any church that you're going to agree with every point of the leadership of the church. I've been walking 46 years in different churches. I have not found any church where I agree every point of the leaders. I have agreed with the key points, the most important ones and generally agree with most of the others. Otherwise, I'd find a different church that I would agree more with. Because I don't want to sit there and be, be in disagreement on everything. Now, I've also been a teacher in churches where I have not fully agreed with the doctrine of the church, and I would just carefully not teach from the, from the front on those truths. Now, as a pastor, I'm going to teach what I believe because this is the church. Unless you all say I'm not preaching, and then, then I'm going to preach what God has told me to preach. But if I'm in somebody else's church, I'm not going to go. If I'm in a church that doesn't believe in eternal, that you're saved eternally and you can't, and believe you can lose your salvation, I'm not going to go in there and preach a message on eternal salvation. I'm not there to make a confusion. Now, if I'm asked individually, I will tell them what I think. But from a position of authority, no. I'm not there to bring division. 
We're not here to bring division amongst one another. We bring the truth. We can share what we believe. We can talk about what we believe. But we want to always keep in mind that the truth is the truth. And there's truths in God's word that are, that are hard to understand. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a course called theology in seminary. Now, if you want to study theology, and we all do, because study of theology is the study of God, so all of you are theologians. Congratulations. You all have started a class in theology. Many of you many years ago. <laughs> but we all have beliefs about God that we can say this is what I believe and why I, hopefully why I believe it. The most important part of it is can you tell me why you believe what you believe? I may not agree with you on what you believe, but as long as you can tell me why you believe it, then it's between you and God. I can tell you why I believe what I believe. <laughs> okay. In each of those points, even those places where I'm on a minority opinion in, in general Christianity, I can tell you why I believe what I believe. And it's up to you to believe it or not believe it. You know, we talked about this just recently during the, during the crucifixion. I do not believe that Jesus died on a Friday. There's just no possible way. He, he died on a Wednesday. And I can show you all the proofs of it. And I'm on the minority side of it. And I know I'm on the minority side of it. Am I going to say, well, because you don't believe like I do, you just got to get out of here, I can't, we can't do it? No. <laughs> I'm going to say, well, you're, you agree with 80% of all the pastors out there? Go ahead and stay that way. Uh, challenge you to prove it to me, but, <laughs> but it's one of those things. Are we dividing people? Are we trying to divide in the churches? And Paul says, beware of those people. Beware of those that are, that are impotent, that are indignant, that just will not allow anything, any, anything. Beware of those that are evil workers. They're the easiest probably to spot of the group. And the, the first two are the easy ones to spot. Those that are dividing people are the hardest ones. Because what they'll do is they'll start with the group that agrees with them. You know, they'll start with the four or five people they know agree with them, and they'll get this little group over here, you know, we're, we're, we're better than everybody else. And the next thing you know, they're adding people to their group and adding people to their group. And next thing you know, the church is splintering because of these divisions. We need to be careful. We need to love one another. We need to be aware of these people trying to cause divisions because it's not worth it. We are of the body of Christ. No one in the body of Christ is more important than somebody else. Matter of fact, in Paul's statement, he goes, the parts of our body that are the most important are the parts that we cover up. <laughs> okay? He goes, uh, and to the letter of the Corinthians, he goes, are we all an eye? And he goes, picture a body of body that's all eyes. Got <laughs> you know, a great big multiple bunch of eyeballs sitting in the middle of a room. <laughs> he goes, how would they go anywhere? How would they do anything? How about a, a bunch of ears sticking together? You know, a bunch of ears all stuck together. Okay, you can hear real well, but who's speaking? Who's doing anything? The point of it is, in the church, every single person in the church is important. The pastor is not more important. The song leader is not more important. The deacons aren't more important. All of us are important because we are the church going out to the, to the rest of the world. You know, there are people you're going to meet in your day-to-day -day actions this week that I will never meet in my entire life unless you get them saved and they come to this church. Yeah. Just a true statement. There are people you will meet that I will never meet. 
There are people that you will meet that most of the people in the church won't meet. Now, for, for the, uh, basically talking to about a third of us that don't live in Coraline. <laughs> the rest of you, you're going to meet the same group of people probably all the time, but you know, you may have influence on some of those people that the other people don't have. You know, they just like you better than they like somebody else for no reason or maybe for good reason. Who knows? It doesn't really matter. There's people that you can reach, that you can give the gospel to that others are never going to meet. The power of prayer. We asked you this morning to be praying for VBS in eight days. If you will seriously take and pray for the eight days about VBS, what kind of work will God do? If we get 20, 25 people praying for these kids for VBS, we might see a revival amongst our kids. We might see a revival in chloride because of this. We don't know. So my encouragement for us is beware. Not being judgmental, not trying to say, well, you've got to stay far away from me, but beware. Know who you're talking to. Because if you let your defenses down around the wrong people, you may find yourself off someplace with a conscience person off being divider without even knowing what you're doing. You're on the wrong side, dividing, dividing people up and saying, well, you're, you, know, you can't believe that. You've know, you got to come over here with us and believe. Be very careful. We need to keep our guard up unless God says it's time to let it down. And there's times to let it down. The problem that we have with the whole entertainment world is that when you sit down to be entertained, you usually sit down and shut off your defensive mechanisms. And garbage gets dumped into your mind, and then you go a week later and go, where did this thought come from? And if you really think about it, it goes, yeah, I was watching that stupid sitcom the other night, and, and they were talking about this very topic, and wow, how did I get there? Well, you need to be careful. Do not shut down your defenses during entertainment, because it is easy to get the wrong thoughts. Satan uses entertainment all the time. All the time to try to get us to be wrong thinkers. We're going to close in prayer and, and do communion. It doesn't look like we're going to do our last songs. <laughs> Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, if there's anybody here who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, we ask that you work on their heart and they will come and they will apologize to you for the evil that they've done, the commandments that they've broken, and ask for your forgiveness and ask you to come into their heart. Lord, for those in this church that have not been careful about bewaring of dogs and evil workers and concisions, that they will be convicted and will come to you again and ask for the strength to be on their guard against that. That they will not be dividers. They will not be with evildoers. They will not be with those that are impudent and impure. And we just thank you for this and ask you to bless this time as we enter into communion. In your son's name, amen.